Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, January 3rd by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the first sermon in our series entitled, The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm sure we are all ready to get 2021 underway with the hope that, in at least some ways, it will be a better year than 2020. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Rob preached a great message. It was on the culture of disciple-making, and he joked about the title of his sermon from the year before on disciple-making. It was this, having 2020 vision for making disciples. Of course, there's some built-in irony to that title, as no one could have seen how COVID-19 would affect what we would, as, as a church would be doing as it relates to making disciples. So much for having 2020 vision. But that's why we trust in God. You know, praise the Lord, here we are. Uh, It's 2021, and we're still in the race. And as the Apostle Paul will say in Philippians, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's our focus as Christians. I trust that you've been able to have a meaningful Christmas season, even with the restrictions that have been in place. I know for some of you, it's been extremely lonely and difficult to be shut in. And our, our hearts and our prayers are with you during this time. As a staff, we want to thank the many of you who have sent cards and notes of encouragement, and we just want to let you know how much we appreciate it, and you've been hugely supportive and has been really helpful. I also want to thank this congregation for their incredible faithfulness and their generosity in giving to the work of the Lord through Sardis Fellowship. The solid financial giving has truly been an amazing part of this church family's story, and we give God the praise for that. Now, back in November, I was planning out the sermon series that we would begin in January, today. As I thought about the challenging circumstances that we're finding ourselves living through, my mind was drawn to the letter of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi to encourage them. This letter is filled with joy and encouragement, and I thought, you know, we could use a little bit of that right now. It's not only a letter about the idea of joy in general, but more specifically, Paul's instruction to the believers in Philippi to know the joy of the Lord when facing suffering. In fact, Paul himself wrote this letter when he was in prison or under house arrest, most likely in Rome, uh, when he penned these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I will say it again, rejoice. And then he goes on to say to this church, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So Paul is an insider on suffering and joy. He knows how these two go together, and he's writing this letter to encourage this church with whatever the sufferings were that they were facing as followers of Jesus Christ. So as we begin this sermon series, I hope that you're going to take the time to read through the letter of Philippians. It's actually only four chapters long, and you may want to read it through a number of times Um, during the course of the next few weeks as we study Philippians together. Now, I know for some of you, you know this letter well. It's one of your favorites. Uh, You love it. You quote it. You quote things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or maybe it's this verse in chapter 4, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are all found in the letter to the Philippians. 
And then, of course, there's my dad's lifelong favorite verse. It was given to him 60 years ago when he first put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, I have that verse memorized simply by the number of times that I've heard my dad quote it. So I've titled this sermon series, The Joy of the Lord. Not too creative, I know, but it does capture the heart of the letter, which is joy. Paul knew something about finding joy, contentment, peace, even while experiencing hardships. This un unusual experience of having joy while facing hardship came to Paul because he kept his eyes on Jesus. His joy was in Christ. Now, you may remember uh, that back in December, I preached on joy during our Advent series, the uh, Christmas Spirit series. I, I made the point that you can't choose joy or you can't conjure it up, but rather it's the result of something outside of you that is produced inside of you. And that something outside of you is Jesus. And when you keep your focus on Jesus, you have joy. So you can't choose joy, but you can choose Jesus. Now for Paul, the joy of knowing Jesus surpassed all the things that life could bring, good and bad. In fact, in comparison to knowing Christ, he called all of what life had to offer as garbage. Or as one translation actually has it, it's dung. He calculated everything that he had ever achieved in life, and he counted it as loss compared to having Jesus. Now, this understanding is, is huge for understanding joy. It, it's central to the equation. You stack up everything in your life on one side of the scales. Who you are, what you've accomplished, your family, your job, all the stuff you have. And then on the other side, you have Jesus, which is worth more to you. Paul says it's not even comparable. All the stuff that this world amounts to is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So that's the source of joy that Paul had. Now, in this letter, the word joy is used four times, and rejoice is used eight times, and glad is used three times. Together, 17 times it's used, and that makes for a theme of joy in the letter. When you couple that with the 36 times that it's mentioned the name of Christ in this letter, you, you get this obvious connection that joy is linked to Christ. Our joy comes from knowing Christ. So, for our purposes today, thinking about the difficult circumstances that we're living through and our desire to be whole people who are well, centered in Christ, serving God as we go through COVID, I felt that we needed to focus on the joy of the Lord. And it's for these reasons that I've titled this sermon series that. Now, as we start this letter, you need to know some of the uniquenesses uh, about the letter and also the background of the relationship that Paul has with this church family. Philippians is different than most of Paul's other letters. For one thing, in most of his letters, he's having to correct some kind of theological issue or moral issue that's going on in the church, and it's out of step with Christ. But not so with this letter. It's actually filled with praise and thanksgiving for this church, and quite frankly, um, about how amazing and wonderful they are. It's the report card your parents want to read. Paul does address a couple of issues. One issue is that in the church there's a disagreement between two women who are leaders. He pleads with Eudia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then Paul does remind the people to watch out for those who boast in the flesh and not in Christ. But aside from those two things, it is predominantly a letter of encouragement and thanksgiving. 
It's also unique um, from his other letters in that he addresses the congregation with this personal affection. He kind of gushes over them uh, on a personal level, and he doesn't usually do that. In other letters, it's a little more formal, and if anything kind of tender is being said, it's couched, um, the complimentary terms are couched in spiritual ways. But here it's very obvious that these people were close to Paul's heart. Of all the churches that Paul planted, this one had a special place in his heart. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Paul's affection for this church was in response to their care of him on his missionary journeys. Uh, They had often sent gifts of money to carry on the work that he was doing. They remembered him. They prayed for him. They encouraged him. And for these reasons, they meant something to Paul. Now, Paul says of them, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. This church had not only sent financial gifts, but even people to encourage Paul. In this letter, we see that a member of their congregation, maybe a church elder, accompanied the financial gift that they were sending to Paul. Paul got a personal visit in prison from Epaphroditus. Now, this trip would have been 650 kilometers from Philippi to Rome that Epaphroditus took in order just to visit Paul. So you can just imagine how much that gesture of kindness would have meant to Paul. Not not just to get a financial gift or a letter, but an actual visit from a dearly loved friend. On Christmas Eve day, I called Homer Neufeld. In his care home, they've had cases of COVID-19. And so no one was allowed to leave their room, not even to stick your head out into the hallway. For three weeks, Homer has been locked in his room. And he said to me when I called him, you have no idea how much this call means to me. So, you know, you could imagine what an in-person visit or a hug would mean to a person like Homer. How much more so for a guy like Paul who's been in prison. And this church, the Church of Philippi, had done just so much to encourage Paul. Paul writes this, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You can just hear in his voice how much this visit and this gift encourages Paul. It's for these reasons that they have endeared themselves to Paul's heart. Much like some of you uh, who have taken time to write letters to Robin Kadeen Lee in Italy or Heidi Gladman in Bolivia, who, by the way, is home at the moment, um, you've prayed for these people, and, and maybe even a few of you have gone to visit them. And you know that there's a special bond that happens when you've gone the extra mile to connect with our missionaries. Uh, you uphold our missionaries in prayer and finances and writing letters or notes of encouragement. And as a result of that, you... You have a special place in their hearts, but equally so, they have a special place in your heart. It's reciprocal. That's how the nature of this partnership works. That's the nature of the relationship that Paul has with the church at Philippi. It's not that Paul is showing favoritism here. It's just that this church made it easy for him to love. But there's another reason why this church is special to Paul, and that's because of the way in which it got started. It came about through both suffering and also a great display of the power of God. Now, we read about this fascinating story in Acts chapter 16. 
we looked at that passage back in July when we read about the Philippian jailer and how it is that he came to faith in Christ. I encourage you, read Acts chapter 16 this week because it's going to give you a really clear understanding of all that went on uh, in the starting of this church and how come it's a special church to Paul right from the get-go. But I will give you a thumbnail sketch of the story of Acts 16 and a bit of a feel for the city of Philippi. So, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's going throughout Asia, and he's strengthening the churches that he and Barnabas had planted on their first missionary trip that they took. But this time, Paul is taking Silas as his ministry partner, and then along the way, he picks up Timothy, young Timothy, and also a medical doctor named Luke. And possibly there were others that are unnamed, but this is the core of Paul's team. Now, Acts 16 tells us that they were in Asia and in the area, which is modern-day Turkey, but the Holy Spirit kept them from entering into a certain city that they were planning to go to. However that happened, we don't exactly know, but the Holy Spirit prevented it. That same night, Paul has a dream, a vision, and in this vision, there's a man in Macedonia, and he's calling them, come over, come west, come over to modern-day Europe, to Greece. So this man is calling Paul to come. They, in the morning, talk about this dream, Paul and his companions, and they conclude that it's God's will for them to go over to the province of Macedonia, to this leading city in Philippi, and to bring the gospel there. Now, Philippi is an important and unique city throughout history. About 400 years earlier, it was named Philippi after a Greek king named Philip II, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great. Then, about 200 years after that, it became part of the Roman Empire. And by the time that Paul came along with his team, it's a Roman colony. Now, hang with me. A Roman colony was a designated city for retired Roman soldiers. And Philippi was prestigious. It had the luxuries of Rome itself, Roman arches, Roman bathhouses, forums, and temples. It even had Roman laws which bypassed local governing authorities because they only had to adhere to Rome. It was a, a great place and a place of great pride, and the people of that city would not tolerate any ideas that were not in keeping with their Roman ideals. They were a proud people. Now, this is important to understand because it's that kind of sentiment that would lead to the center of a controversy that would end up planting the church. And in order for this church to be planted in this city, the gospel would have to overcome some incredible hurdles. Paul couldn't employ his usual strategy of going to the local Jewish synagogue and reasoning with the Jews that Jesus is indeed the Messiah because there was no synagogue. There were not enough Jewish men in the city in order to establish one. It was a dominant Roman Gentile world. The strategy that Paul used in so many other places would not work here in Philippi. So what's plan B for sharing the gospel when you don't have any common ground to begin with. For, for Paul and his team, it would take nothing less than the power of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, to open the door for the gospel to take root in the hearts of the people. Now think about this for a minute. You're planning to go to a people that have absolutely no understanding of the God of the Bible or the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, where do you start? When I'm sharing my faith, I look for a starting point often try to find some kind of common ground with the person, usually trying to find out if they have any kind of Christian connection that you can build off of and, and engage at a deeper level, a more meaningful level. But when you have nothing, what do you do? I had a conversation with a man recently 
He stopped by the church parking lot when we were handing out free coffees to the parents of Evans Elementary School. This was just before Christmas. Now, we were doing this because the parents can't make a left-hand turn off of Evans into the school parking lot. So our church is the closest place that they can do a safe U-turn in our driveway and then get out and heading the right direction, make a right-hand turn into the Evans Elementary parking lot. I know, it's confusing. So every weekday uh, in the morning between 7.45 and 8 o'clock, about 15, maybe 20 cars do a U-turn in our driveway just so they can drop off their kids at school. So Carol Hendricks and myself for some time now had talked about this idea of serving them Starbucks coffee. Uh, when they're doing their U-turn, just pass out a coffee to them for free because we just simply wanted to encourage them, to bless them. So we, Carol and myself, along with her kids, set up a tent in our parking lot and the kids had their signs saying Merry Christmas and free coffee for the parents of Evans Road Elementary, all this kind of stuff. This one guy, he stops and he comes over for coffee and evidently for a chat too. He was a friendly guy and we were talking and he sees our church sign in the background. He says, oh, you're a church. Well, I guess I'm a Christian Buddhist, he says, or something like that because my mom was a Christian and my dad was a Buddhist. And then he said, you know, whenever I tell people that, they usually look at me like they've just seen a purple Sasquatch, thinking that the two, Christianity and Buddhism, don't go together. But they do, he says. Well, what do you say to that, right? I mean, you're trying to have a friendly conversation. You don't want to get combatant. But at that moment, I think he was probably reading my face that I had just seen a purple Sasquatch. But not wanting to shut down the conversation, I simply said something like, well, isn't that interesting? You see, I wanted to engage him further in conversation and... I didn't want to just be confrontational. So we kind of let that one settle and carried on talking. And eventually an opportunity came. I asked him, I said, well, what do you think about eternity, though? Like, what comes next after we die? He didn't hesitate in giving me his answer. He quoted an old Irish proverb that said, well, don't worry about being sad in hell because you'll be too busy shaking all your friends' hands. And then he laughed. So I challenged him to reconsider that version of eternity and to consider what Christ offers him because there's a lot at stake. Our conversation ended and he was happy enough to have his cup of coffee and head on his way. And I hope that I get to meet him again someday. So what's your starting point for planting a church in a completely Roman Gentile context like Philippi? Where, where people don't have an inkling of understanding about Jesus being the Messiah? Oh, that's for the Jews. Or that he's the son of God? He's one of many gods. We have many gods in Rome. Well, he's the Lord. We have Caesar. He's our Lord. Well, he's the savior of the world. We have Rome. Rome saves us. Rome gives us everything we need. So that was Paul's context in Philippi. God would show up with power and a church would start. So Acts 16 records for us three stories where people came to faith in Christ. The first was a lady named Lydia, a smart, successful businesswoman who had come from another city, settled in Philippi to sell her purple linens. The second person was a slave girl who had an evil spirit and was used for fortune telling by her owners. She was set free by the power of Jesus' name when Paul rebuked the evil spirit in her. This led to a riot which landed Paul and Silas in jail. And then the third case was the story of the Roman jailer himself who got saved. You, remember, you might remember that story. Uh, Paul and Silas had been falsely accused. Then they were stripped and beaten, and they were put in stocks in the inner part of the jail. And during the night, while Paul and Silas, get a load of this, were worshiping God, singing songs and praying, 
God sends an earthquake and he sets them free. And out of that story, the jailer and his entire household come to faith in Christ and were baptized. A foreign, wealthy, Gentile, intelligent businesswoman, a young, poor, enslaved girl, and a loyal, blue-collar Roman guard become the core of the church in Philippi. You know, Paul witnessed the life-changing power of God displayed in these three conversion stories. And that background is part of the special relationship that Paul has to this church family in Philippi. A place Paul was not even planning to go, but God intervened and clearly led them to go to that city to do his work. To a people not his own, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, these people become Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ dear to his heart like a parent's heart to their children. For about 10 years, from the time the church first started, the Acts 16 story, to the writing of this letter of Philippians, this amazing church had faithfully supported Paul and his ministry over and over again. That's why this church has a special place in Paul's heart. So with this in mind, let's read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 just to kind of get a taste for the heart uh, of appreciation that Paul has for them. Philippians chapter 1, 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, let's quickly look at three things here that reflect Paul's heart for this church family. One, Paul thanks God for their partnership in the gospel with him. I thank my God every time I remember you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As Christians, we don't go it alone. That's not God's design. He's, he's the one who's planned the body of Christ to be a partnership. It, it's the way that God works. We need each other. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. There's different parts with one head which is Jesus. There's different gifts and different roles with one desire, which is to serve Christ, who is our head. That's the partnership of the gospel. Um, today, we partner together in the day-to-day -day things of life to encourage and build up one another. We partner together uh, to share the gospel of Christ in our community. We partner with our missionaries and agencies who go to the world that they might share the good news of Jesus internationally. So let's be reminded to praise God for the partnership that we have together in sharing the gospel. That's Sardis Fellowship. Secondly, Paul has affection for them. I have you in my heart. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
You know, I'm so glad the church isn't nuts and bolts in a factory line. It's the living, breathing body of Christ where there's love and affection for one another and the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. I think it would be fair to say that there are times when we take each other for granted. And maybe that's one of the things that COVID has shown us this past year, that we truly miss the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Does it take loneliness in prison or in a care home to remind us of how much we love and need each other? Can we pray for one another just a little bit more this year? Can we reach out and show care to one another during this difficult time? Thirdly, Paul's affection for them led to praying for them. And his longing for them is more than just to see them, but to see them grow in their faith. So look at this prayer with me that he prayed for them. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and it's to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays for their love to grow. To grow in what? In knowledge and insight. To be able to discern what is best. So, so it has a result that you would be pure and blameless for Christ. That you would be filled with the righteousness of Christ. To the glory and praise of God. So, in closing today, I would like to pray this prayer of Paul's for us. So join me in your hearts as we pray this. Father, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we can discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill us with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For your praise and glory, amen. Well, thank you for joining us today and we invite you back here next Sunday. But here are the discussion questions that I have for you if you're not joining us on Zoom. One, why do you think God has designed his work to be done in partnership? Two, is there someone uh, or some way that you are able to show affection to a person in need at this time? And three, is there a time when you found it hard to find common ground or a way forward in a conversation with someone about Jesus? Did you learn something from that that has become helpful for you? God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.